Welcome to Burnside at Home for Sunday the 29th of May. You join us today as we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians, Finding Joy Right Here. And just a couple of announcements uh, to begin with today. First of all, we're having a Platinum Jubilee drop-in on Thursday, uh, the 2nd of June. That's Thursday of this week from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. in the church hall. Everyone's welcome. Uh, come along and join us. If you are uh, with us in person on Sunday, uh, you can sign up or you can send a message in to us just to let us know you're coming uh, so that we have an idea of catering. And then our drop-in is going to continue right throughout June, every Thursday morning at half past 10 to 12 noon. And that's open to anyone at all to drop in and join us for a cuppa, a chat, a listening ear. You're very welcome. And also to remind you, it's Christian Aid Week. Envelopes are available in the pews in the church and you can return those envelopes anytime you want uh, with donations for Christian Aid. In the tradition then, that, let's worship God. In the tradition uh, that we've developed over the last couple of weeks of noticing the well-known verses from Philippians, today our call to worship is from verses 9 to 11 of chapter 2 where Paul writes the following. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, Let's come to him in prayer. Most wonderful God, the beauty we see in Jesus is your beauty veiled in human flesh. The love we witness from Bethlehem to Golgotha is your love contracted to a span. If Christ's love is so holy as to fill us with wonder, how much more would your unveiled beauty leave us overwhelmed and trembling? You are more than the eye could bear, more than the mind can ever fathom. And yet, Lord, you have so carefully made us that although we cannot fathom you, we can yet love you. Gratefully, we bring our little lives to you, asking that our worship may arise from love and be shaped by love and be directed towards that larger loving which is your soul's desire. We ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to read together from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Today, we're moving into chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 to 11. And here Paul is giving us a beautiful poetic picture of Jesus Christ and what Jesus is like. So let's read together. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Disputes in a church are never a pleasant thing to experience. It's so bad when a a church begins to fall apart because of warring factions within it. Sometimes, sadly, it is the attacks from within that can be more damaging than the attacks from outside. Satan, of course, knows this, and that's why he's continually trying to cause conflict and unrest. On reading this week, I came across a story of one church in Wales. This account is contained in a book by Leslie Flynn with the dubious title, Great Church Fights. Sounds like a horrendous book to read. He quotes a story from a Welsh newspaper about a church that was looking for a minister. This is the newspaper account. Yesterday, the two opposition groups both sent ministers to the pulpit. Both spoke simultaneously, each trying to shout above the other. Both called for hymns, and the congregation signed to each side trying to drown out the other. Then the groups began shouting at each other. Bibles were raised in anger. The Sunday morning service turned into a bedlam. Through it all, the two preachers continued to outshout each other with their sermons. Eventually, a deacon called a policeman. Two came in and began shouting for the congregation to be quiet. They advised the 40 persons in the church to return home. The rivals filed out, still arguing. Last night, one of the group called a Let's Be Friends meeting. It broke up in argument. It does seem a bit extreme and we might even laugh at the antics taking place in that church in Wales. But this is a church we're talking about, part of the body of Christ here on earth. But what is the solution? Well, strangely, most of the letters that we have in the New Testament are written because there is a problem in the church. New Testament apostles hear about a disagreement and they write to the church to try and sort out the problems. They send their advice in the hope that the church will find a solution. 
And this is no different for the church in Philippi. Paul planted the church. He led the first converts to faith. And now he's writing, calling for them to set aside their differences and calls on them to work in unity. Paul has one reason to share with the church, to get it to work together. And that one reason is Jesus. And as he tells us about Jesus, he gives us one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry that we'll find in the New Testament. It is stunning poetry, but it also has the most practical application. So Paul tells us to think like Jesus, serve like Jesus, and exalt Jesus. Jesus is the way to find unity and to stop division in the church. So let's begin with thinking like Jesus. In verse 5, Paul tells us very clearly, without any doubt, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Or the newly amended NIV translates like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. These minor little changes in the NIV always fascinate me as the changes come about because of the misunderstandings and the confusions that have developed over the first 1984 uh, translation. Paul is calling for us to think like Jesus, to have the same mindset. And if we can think like Jesus, then our minds and our memories will be filled with the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. Paul's not saying that we should all think the same, that we should all think the exact same things as each other. He's not saying that we should do the exact same things and act in the exact same ways. Paul is telling us to be like Jesus and hold on to the things that are like Jesus. Paul tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And this is how the church is to work. I always think that Eugene Peterson has a wonderful way of paraphrasing verses like this. This is how he puts it. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Paul tells us in the first few verses what it is that we have in common through Jesus. Now, look carefully at those verses. There's a little word that's repeated. It's the word if. Four times it's mentioned in these verses. And that word if almost creates a sense of doubt that these things might not be ours. It's only if you happen to have them that these things apply. But that little word if could also be translated as sense or because. 
So rather than just saying, if you have this, Paul's also saying, since you have this, or because you have this, he's removing any doubt. These are the things that you have, he's saying. And I think that maybe helps us tease out the meaning a little easier. Therefore, since you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, because any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. These are the things that we have in common. There is no doubt that we have them. It's because we have them that we can find unity. And if we can think about these things, then we will be thinking like Jesus. If we can fill our minds with these things, then we will be united together. So Paul's writing to this church where there seems to be some division. And he's saying, look, Jesus is the one who's important. Think like Jesus. But then secondly, Paul tells us not only to think like Jesus, but to serve like Jesus. And he gives us this wonderfully poetic description of what Jesus has done. And it centers around the humility of Jesus. How Jesus lowers himself to come to this planet and then to go through the suffering and to go to the cross so that we might be saved. Jesus could easily have come to this earth and claimed his rights. But he doesn't demand better treatment from human beings. Instead, he humbles himself. In our relationships with one another, we're to have the same mindset, the same thinking as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. He came to this earth to serve and he calls on us to do the same thing. I think sometimes we have trouble grasping the true impact of what Jesus has done for us. What it meant for him to come in all humility to this earth and to come to serve human beings rather than to be served himself. J.B. Phillips imagined what it would be like for a senior angel to explain what was happening to a junior angel. And he imagines the conversation, and I want to share that conversation with you now. And it gives us a little insight into 
how Jesus humbled himself to be here. This is what he writes. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown round the splendours and glories of the universe by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He'd been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, and to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. And as the two of them drew near to the star which we call our sun and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had already seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied the senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You don't mean visited by. Indeed I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps over clean, has been visited by our Prince of Glory. At these words he bowed his head reverently. The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them to lift them up to become like him. The angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond comprehension. Close your eyes for a moment, said the senior angel, and we'll go back in what they call time. While the little angel's eyes were closed and the two of them moved near to the spinning ball, it stopped its spinning, spun backward quite fast for a while, and then slowly resumed its usual rotation. Now look, and as the little angel did as he was told, there appeared here and there on the dull surface of the globe little flashes of light, some merely momentary and some persisting for quite a time. What am I seeing now? queried the little angel. You're watching this little world as it was some thousands of years ago, returned his companion. Every flash and glow of light that you see is something of the Father's knowledge and wisdom breaking into the minds and hearts of people who live upon the earth. Not many people, you see, can hear his voice or understand what he says, even though he is speaking gently and quietly to them all the time. Why are 
Why so blind and deaf and stupid? Asked the junior angel rather crossly. It's not for us to judge them. We who live in the splendour have no idea what it is like to live in the darkness. But watch. For in a moment you'll see something truly wonderful. The earth went on turning and circling round the sun and then quite suddenly in the upper half of the globe there appeared a light tiny but so bright in its intensity that both angels hid their eyes. I think I can guess, said the little angel in a low voice. That was the visit, wasn't it? Yes, that was the visit. The light himself went down there and lived among them. Open your eyes now, the dazzling light has gone. The prince has returned to his home of light, but watch the earth now. As he looked, in place of the dazzling light, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated. And then, as the earth turned many times, little points of light spread out. A few flickered and died, but for the most part, the lights burned steadily. And as they continued to watch, in many parts of the globe, there was a glow. You see what's happening, asked the senior angel. The bright glow is the company of loyal men and women. He left behind and with his help they spread the glow and now lights begin to shine all over the earth. Yes, yes, said the little angel impatiently. But how does it end? Will the little lights join up with one another? Will it all be light as it is in heaven? The senior shook his head. We simply do not know, he replied. The end is not yet, but now I am sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He visited it. Yes, I see, though I don't understand. I shall never forget that this is a visited planet. Jesus humbled himself to come here. He came, humbly preferring others rather than himself, taking the light of the gospel out into the world and sharing it. We are to serve like Jesus, humbly preferring others rather than ourselves and taking the light of the gospel out into the world and sharing it wherever we go. We are to serve like Jesus. And we're to think like Jesus. Finally, we are to exalt Jesus. By lifting Jesus up in our worship and by lifting Jesus up in our daily lives, we turn the attention away from ourselves and towards Jesus. When we're focused on Jesus rather than ourselves, then we're more likely to find unity with others rather than division. One day, of course, everyone will have to bow before Jesus and worship him. When he returns for the second time, there will be no other option. 
We will see him in all his glorious splendor. And the only response that we will have is to worship. But for many, that day will be too late. They will already have been judged. Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross. He died. He was buried. But then God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our closing hymn this morning, that is what we are going to be singing. At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him, King of glory now. In the second verse, we'll sing about his humility, humbled for a season to receive a name from the lips of sinners unto whom he came. And then we'll be singing of how he's exalted. He is God the Saviour. He is Christ the Lord, ever to be worshipped, trusted and adored. With his Father's glory, Jesus comes again and our hearts confess him, King of glory now. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you this day that you have sent your Son Jesus and Jesus is the answer to our problems. Help us, Lord, to think like Jesus. Help us to serve like Jesus. Help us to exalt Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forevermore. Amen.